Lord, I'm so thankful that even if there are things that don't go right with a microphone, you're on your throne and you are in control. And I'm so grateful that we get to come and look at your word this morning. Lord, I'm so thankful that we get to be a part of your plan unfolding here on earth. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have a spirit of obedience this morning as we talk about Noah and his obedience, that you would help us to follow after you, help us to run after you, help us to look forward, God, at what you have for our lives. And we know that the best place to be on earth is in your will, and so I pray that you'd help us to do that and help us to have the courage to be able to follow after you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So something I want to clear up from last week, last week we were talking about the two different lines, the lines of Lamech and the lines of Enoch. And as I was talking through that, I wanted to make the point that there was one line that went the unrighteous way and one line that went the righteous way. But one thing I didn't make clear is that there's two Lamechs and two Enochs. So it makes it really difficult. But as you see from here, I just want you to pull your attention to line number seven. Because from Adam, that's the seventh generation, Lamech and Enoch are on the same line. And that's what the point I was trying to make last week is that Lamech didn't walk with God. He went the unrighteous way. Enoch walked with God. He went the righteous way. But if you look at line two on, I mean, it's line three on this side, you see there's an Enoch there. And if you look down here on line nine, there's a Lamech there. So you can see how it could get very confusing. But line seven is what I was talking about. And today we're continuing on uh, in the line of Seth and line of Enoch talking about Noah. And it's so cool to be able to come together and look at God's word together because we get to be inspired by it. We get to be led by it. And we've been walking through Genesis and we've been talking about this being a great disciple-making adventure, that we're on this adventure together. And today's point is actually obeying God is an adventure. Now, if you've spent any time in your life obeying God, you know that stepping out in faith is truly an adventure. And there are many times in my life I can think about when God called me to obey and have it be an adventure. But one of the times that sticks out in my mind is when we took a trip to India. And I know I've shared some of these uh, little bits of these stories before, but I want to share a little bit of what happened with this group because it's such, an, a, such a great example of obeying God in an adventure. So this is the group of guys that went. There was 13 guys. They're all basically college age. There I am in the rainbow hat up there. And, uh, and uh, that was outside of a little restaurant in Ladakh, India. And, and so God had put it on our hearts to go to a village that was over a mountain pass that was 22,000 feet up. And so we knew that we had to train. We knew we had to work hard. And so what we did as 13 guys that were full of testosterone, thinking that we could conquer the world, is we found the highest point of elevation we could in St. Augustine, Florida. And that was the Volano Bridge. And uh, we would run across the Volano Bridge at 5 in the morning, many times a week. We would carry water drugs. We were prepared to go on this adventure, trekking to share the gospel with this village. And so we finally get there and we realize that this trek is going to be very long. If you show the next slide, that's us starting the trek there on the, plate, on the way to nowhere. And you show the next slide, we keep trekking and trekking and the elevation is getting higher and higher. And you'll see by the next slide, my face is looking like that uh, because we're starting to get uh, elevation sickness altitude sickness. If you've never had, have experienced this before, basically what happens at certain levels, the oxygen decreases, your brain starts swelling. 
And when your brain starts swelling, you start getting massive headaches uh, to the point where sometimes you can't even walk, you get dizzy. And some of the guys on our team uh, were like that. And if you stay up that altitude long enough without getting treatment, you can die from a coma. And so here we are on this adventure trying to obey God, and we're all kind of wondering, what is going on here? We're not sure if we're going to go back ever to St. Augustine again. We're going to die in the Himalaya Mountains, and we get these opportunities to be able to, to share the gospel. And I think there's a, a slide up here if you show the, the next one. Oh, that was the village that we went to. Can you imagine living there? No electricity, really primitive, uh, amazing way to, to live life. And the next slide shows the people in Ladakh uh, were listening to the gospel on these devices that we got. They had no power, no batteries. Um, basically, you spun it to play the tape. And when you spun the, the tape player, it shared the gospel in their language. And uh, we saw many people come to know Jesus. He worked through all of it. But it was such an adventure to get there to the point of what are we doing? Why do you want us to do that? But when we saw people come to know Jesus that way, we knew exactly why God called us to do that. And we all made it back safe and sound. So it was, it was all okay. And maybe God isn't calling you to go to Ladakh, India, but maybe he's calling you to obey something. And so this morning, as we continue walking through Genesis, we're going to be reminded that the number one way that God talks to us is through his word. And the number one way that we obey God and know God is by digging into his word. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to dig into God's word, but we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about Noah and the flood and the covenant that he has, uh, that God has with us through the rainbow. And so this is what the next four weeks are going to look like. So if you're new, you know what you're in store for. You're a member, you know what you're going to come back for. Uh, the first week, this week, Genesis 6, we're looking at basically the person of Noah and what we can learn from him. And then next week, we're going to look even more at what obedience means as we look at the flood rains coming. And then the following week, as the, the flood uh, recedes and Noah's starting his life, what the faithfulness of God looks like, and then we'll spend the final uh, week uh, in Genesis 9 looking at what the covenant is. And so let's dig in to God's word here this morning in Genesis chapter 6. If you have, the, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, you can look up on the screen. When men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God said the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for, he is more, for his mortal days will be 120 years. Now you remember that we talked about how the lifespan was so long before the flood, and this is part of basically what our lifespans are now, a maximum of 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to, went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. When the Lord God saw how, man's, how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth. This heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind who I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among all the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, 
Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt and in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm sure they're going to destroy both them and the earth. I'm going to make, so make for yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms on it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be a 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring flood wires on the earth and destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish, establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons, and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And you are to bring unto the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food uh, for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. It's pretty interesting, this story of the flood, especially what we tell our kids, right? I mean, the story of the flood is what? Two by two, they come into the arky, arky, and it's so nice and so pleasant. This is judgment over the entire earth. Everyone is wiped out, right? This is a lot different than what uh, we, tell, we tell our kids. This happened about 1,500 years after creation. Genesis 5 that we went through last week kind of went through the genealogy from Adam to Noah, and it was about 1,065 years from Adam's creation to Noah's birth, and Noah was uh, 600 years uh, when God flooded the entire earth. And during that time, man's sin from the fall had not gotten better. It had gotten exponentially worse, right? All these people on the earth, they were nowhere near following after God. They were doing everything that was against God. But Noah was pleasing in the sight of God. And so we're going to dig into that a little bit this morning. Look at that. And what does that mean for us? And, and how do we apply this uh, to our lives? So as we look through this, some of the key verses I'm going to talk about as we walk through this. Uh, the first thing that we have to talk about is what's going on in verse 4 with the Nephilim. Who are these people? These are very strange characters in the Bible. It says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them and they were hearers of old men of renown. So there's three main theories who the Nephilim are. The, the honest truth is that no theologian really knows for certain who the Nephilim are, but these are the three main views. I think it's important that you know these views. Now, all these views are based in Scripture, and it shouldn't affect your view of the authority of Scripture. And this is not a salvation issue, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I just want you to be aware of the three different views. One view is the fallen angels view, that Satan and his fallen angels came down to earth and actually had relations with women and these are the sons and daughters of that time of that relation together now that seems a little odd and seems a little strange and seems supernatural but it's one view of who the nephilim are the next view is the sethite view which means that the line from adam to seth that i talked about at the beginning of this message the righteous line 
their kids became unrighteous people that didn't follow after God, and that's who the Nephilim are. That's another view. And then the final view, which I tend to fall into, is that godly men end up taking ungodly wives, and their descendants ended up falling after false gods, and that's who the Nephilim were. Nobody really knows for certain who they were, but those are three uh, views of who they are. So that way, when you're looking through, somebody asks that, at least you can be informed with what the different views uh, are. In verse 5, it says that the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. Wow. That is a statement right there about how bad men's sin is and I believe in our world today we don't realize how bad our sin is and I think it's important for us to realize how bad our sin is so we realize how great the gospel is but most people that I meet that don't know Jesus if I ask them they're going to heaven almost every single one of them says yes and almost every single one of them gives the same answer which is what I'm a good person I'm a good person so this morning here at 10, 7, 11, 17 in the morning, I'm going to help you establish that you're not a good person. You guys ready for this? All right, I need some participation with this. You guys are going to do this. I know it's a little painful to admit sin in front of other people, but I'm going to do it with you, okay? So if I tell you, ask you something that applies to you, please keep your hand raised, okay? So the first question is, have you ever stolen anything in your life? you ever stolen anything? Okay, a lot of hands up right there, okay? For you that don't have your hands up, have you ever said a swear word? Have you ever said a swear word? Okay, have but for the rest of you that don't have your hands up now, have you ever not honored your father and mother? Okay, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Now, if there's anyone right now that doesn't have their hands up right now, you know they're a sinner too because they're a big fat liar, right? <laughs> okay, you can put your hand down. We've established we're all dirty, rotten sinners. We all do things that go against God. And as you see from what Scripture says here, we should... Realize how bad our sin is, and we should rejoice at how great the gospel is, because Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of that sin is death, but the gift, the gift is Christ Jesus. When we put our life in him, the gift is eternal life in him. And the way that we get that, Romans 10, 9 said, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Noah knew the goodness of God. He knew about the salvation that was to come. And we know about the salvation that has happened, that has occurred through Jesus. But it's you're not saved through head knowledge. So if you know about this, but you've never actually put your trust in Christ, you need to put your trust in Christ. And if you're hearing this for the first time, the most important decision, the best act of obedience that you could do is putting your faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never done that before, why don't you do that this morning? See, Jesus believed the story of Noah and the flood. I know some of you think this, this could have never happened, but Jesus himself believed it. And this isn't on the screen, but in Matthew 24, it says, But in the days of Noah were, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving into marriage, until that day that Noah had entered into the ark. This is Jesus saying this. And he knew that not until the flood came and took them away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus proved how historically accurate the flood is. He also shows the necessity of accepting him as a Savior. As you'll see through the story of Noah and the ark, the salvation message is very clear there. The gospel is very clear there. And we were in our sin, 
And we have a coming judgment, and we desperately need Christ. So if you never accepted Christ, won't you do that? Because when, it, when you don't accept Christ, when you do things against God, it grieves his heart. In verse 6, it says, The Lord was grieved that he had made men on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. I think this is an awesome verse about God's character, that he experiences grief, that he loves us so dearly that he wants us to have a working relationship with him. He doesn't want us to run from him. He doesn't want us to not obey him. He doesn't want us to go far away from him. He wants us to be close. He wants us to obey. He wants us to have life abundant in him. It doesn't mean things are going to be perfect. It doesn't mean we're not going to experience the, the results of sin, but it does mean that we're going to understand what it's like to fall after God. And being close to God is always the best place to be. In his will is always the best place to be, no matter what sacrifices need to be made to follow after his will. And so here he is grieved at heart. His heart was filled with pain, but there was one that was following after him. In the King James Version, I think this explains it so much better, they replace the word favor with grace. So in verse 8, it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I think the Hebrew word is a lot closer to grace than it is favor. Now, favor and grace are very closely related together, but when I think of grace, I think of this love that's absolutely undeserved. This kindness is absolutely undeserved, and that's what Noah got. And if you pay attention to the order here, it's very important because a lot of us don't understand this. We think that we have to get our act together. We have to clean up ourselves before we come to God, and that, that's not the case at all. Noah didn't clean up his act and then come to God. He experienced grace first, and then in verse 9, it says that he was called a righteous and blameless man. You see the order? We don't try to become righteous and blameless on our own. And then experience his grace. Now listen, we're all sinners that all raised our hands with things that we've done wrong. I'm the chief of them, okay? I raised my hand for all of those. We desperately need grace. And Noah knew that. He knew the grace that could only be found in God. And Noah's name actually means rest. So it's really cool that here's the man that's, that's righteous and blameless. He's actually resting in grace. And obeying God is, is an adventure, I mean, this was an adventure for Noah to actually obey God. Think about what his life must have been like. The only righteous family in the whole earth. I mean, his life must have looked a lot different, right? He wasn't the same as everyone else. How about you? How, how does your life look different? How are you on an adventure with God? If you look around at your life and you think, well, my life looks pretty much the same as my unbelieving neighbor, then maybe it's time to do some business with God to come into his word and say, where, where do you want me to really obey? Where do you want me to take some steps to look different? He was blameless man among all the generations, and he walked with God. Just like last week, Enoch walked with God, Noah walked with God. There's so many other Bible characters that says that they walked with God. And walking with God is really a, a whole lifelong process. When you look at the, the deep meaning of walking with God, it means to come or to proceed all the way through your whole life. And that's a fun adventure, isn't it? To walk with God. Think about who God is. I mean, God is the ruler of heaven and earth. He's the king over everything. And he wants us to walk with him. And that's pretty sweet, isn't it? We get to know him. We get to know what his will is for us. We get to be on an adventure for him in this life and for all eternity. And, and Noah, Noah got that. He understood that. 
but it took her the grace of God to work through his life. And this adventure really started with the first act of obedience. And this first act of obedience, if you put yourself in Noah's shoes, must have been a pretty th- crazy thing to do. God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Can you imagine this? Imagine putting yourself in Noah's shoes. Okay, everyone else is going to get wiped out. I know I'd be thinking, okay, God, what's next? What do you want me to do next? And then God follows up with this. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood and make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're going to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. You really want me to do this, God? You really want me to build an ark when Scripture makes it clear that it hadn't even rained on earth yet? Can you imagine what this would have been like? How long is it going to take me to build? It actually took Noah over 100 years to build this. What an act of obedience, right? Can you imagine the ridicule he must have been under as he's getting all these supplies together? No, what are you doing, man? What are you building? I mean, come on, especially because all the other people around him were unrighteous. He must have been mocked like crazy. And sometimes when we fall after God, when we do things that don't make worldly sense, what happens to us? We get mocked too. But be comforted that you're in good company, that Noah obeyed. Now let's talk a little bit about this ark. We have to do this because it's pretty unbelievable, right? Uh, Christy and I and our kids, we went to the, the ark, the ark this, this summer. Do you guys know the ark's in, in Kentucky? It is. It is. That's where it landed. No, I'm just kidding. This, this is an amazing thing that Ken Ham and his team did. They built a life-size ark to the biblical proportions so that people could see it and experience it. And it's amazing. If you don't have plans yet this summer for a vacation, you can take a few days to go up there. It is awesome to experience what it actually looks like. And it wasn't built for speed or for beauty. It was built to, to fulfill the promise that God had. And I want to make sure I get these uh, capacities right, so I want to read this to you. The ark was approximately 1.4 million cubic feet, which is equal to 522 livestock cars. And you can fit 240 sheep-sized animal in each stock car so that over 125,000 sheep-sized animals could have been carried on the ark. That's really important because many people say, oh, there's no way all the animals could have fit on it. They could have easily fit on it because the number of species um, that most biologists say there are of mammals, birds, reptiles, and amphibians in the world today is about 18,000. So we took 18,000 times two, and then you added some extra for the extra clean, unclean animals that are listed there. Let's just say, let's just say there's 40,000 animals or so that are on the ark. Even if it was more than that, there would have been plenty of room for all these animals to fit because some of them would have been bigger than sheep size, but most of them would have been smaller than sheep size. At the most, it would have taken up 60% of the capacity uh, of, of the ship. That would have left plenty of room for all the food, all the supplies, everything that needed to, to be taken care of. And and this is the picture of what it would have looked like to the built of the specifications. It was huge. It was ready uh, for what God called Noah uh, to do. And, and so that's why he did it. And the picture of the gospel in here is so, um, so prevalent. Let me read to you a couple things here that really stick out to me. 
It says that he's going to make the ark of the cypress wood in the rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. Now, of course, there need to be a covering to make it waterproof. And so the, all this pitch is on inside and out. But the cool thing about the word pitch there is the same word that's used in the Old Testament for uh, atonement. So the atonement that, that Jesus does for us, the atonement of the Savior to come, is the same word. That covering that was over the ark is the covering that's over us in, in the atonement for our sins. What a cool picture of the gospel. Also, there's one door on it. And some of you might have uh, picked up on that the first uh, time I read it through. There's got to be a way for the animals to get on the ark. And so God said, put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. There's one door. There's one way on. Does this sound familiar? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He calls himself the door, that there's one way for salvation. Amazing picture of the gospel. And so Noah obeys. And I'm so thankful that he did. And it continues on here in verse 18. Verse 18 says, I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark. We're going to talk a lot more about covenant in a few weeks, but this is the first time the word covenant is an agreement between two parties where one party is greater and that can establish that relationship. And, and God does that with Noah. He says, you are to bring into the ark two of every living creature, male and female, and to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of creature, every kind that moves along the ground will come to you and keep alive. There's plenty of room for all these species, including all the insects that would have had to come on there. There was plenty of room for all of them uh, on the ark. This act of obedience was so powerful. It was an amazing thing. It was an adventure that God called Noah to do, wasn't it? I mean, what a crazy task to be asked to do. And that's why the action step for this week is to listen and obey. Listen, God is both merciful grace-filled, and just. I think in the American church, we so often focused on his mercy and his grace. And we should. His mercy is new every morning. Lamentation says that. We should focus on his grace and mercy. But we should also focus on his justice. Because when we don't obey God, there always is consequences. I mean, can you imagine if Noah didn't obey God? If Noah said, no, this is crazy, God. I'm not going to build a giant boat that's going to take me almost 100 years or maybe more than 100 years to build. I'm not going to do this. There's never been rain on the earth. I'm not doing it. What would that look like for all of us? We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. There would have been grave consequences for disobedience. Now, what I've learned in my life, because in my 40 years on this earth, there have been plenty of times I haven't obeyed God, probably plenty of times this week. And I see his grace and his mercy all the time in my life. But God wants us to follow after him, to experience an abundant life. You hear all the time on social media, right? I'm living my best life. Well, all of us can live our best life. Not a life of perfer perfection, not a life necessarily of material things, but a life of sacrifice and life of obedience that's unbelievably fulfilling when we're in the will of God. And that's why it's so important for us to be here on Sundays, to run to worship together, to be in community together, because no one else on this earth is going to encourage you to follow after the will of God. They're going to tell you to do things that are most comfortable, to be in the best situation that you can, to have the most material things, and God doesn't call us to do those things necessarily. He calls us to follow after him, to be obedient to him. And that's what Noah did.
And I'm not up here this, this morning telling you to be like Noah. No, that, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when you do that, I want you to dig into his words so you get to know him better. And when you get to know him better, I am praying that you have the courage to follow after what he has called you to do. See, Genesis emphasizes that Noah did obey God in his life. But what we see in the coming chapters, he didn't spend his whole life obeying him. Okay, We're going to talk about him getting drunk here pretty soon. Okay, God, Noah was not a perfect man. We're not perfect men and women. We're going to fall short. We're going to disobey. But when we obey God, we get to experience his goodness. We get to experience his love. We get to experience what it's like to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and for us to follow after him. So I encourage you, church, be quick to trust and obey God. Be quick to come and worship him. Run here every Sunday morning because we're coming before the God of the universe and we're saying we want to walk with you. We want to experience what the adventure is that you have for us. We want to follow after you. We want to obey you. And so run to his word. Dig into his word. That's why we have these studies out for you. These are brand new studies for this month. We want to encourage you to get into God's word so that you can obey and you can listen to him because this is the primary way that he speaks to you. We need to be quick to come to him in prayer about the things that we're struggling with. And we need to be quick to obey. I'm so grateful that Noah obeyed. I'm so grateful that God calls us to be on an adventure of obedience. And so I challenge you, church, to look at your life and look at God's word and see where they maybe don't line up and take some steps of obedience. Let's pray together. Lord, trusting in you, obeying you, taking steps to obey what your word says takes great courage, especially living in 2020 in World Golf Village. There are not many people they're going to encourage us to follow after you. Not many people to, to help us obey. So I pray that we'd have the, the courage to be obedient. That you help us to remember that our best life, our most abundant life in, is in you. And that doesn't mean that we're going to be showered with material blessings. But it does mean that we're going to be in your will. And when we're in your will, it's the best place to be. And so I pray that you'd help us as a church to be courageous with obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.